this is my coming out as transgender story uh, that was 35 years in the making and starts in a really interesting way. And it all kind of started with um, like a My Little Pony doll named Blossom and the Little Mermaid on VHS that used to come in those like clamshell cases. If you grew up in the 80s, it was like a kind of puffy white case. And anyways, that it was a VHS that was very dear to me. And I got it in a Domino's pizza promotion as a kid. My, my mom somehow got me a medium pepperoni pizza and it came with the Little Mermaid. And, there was a, and that it's all going to make sense in a moment. So bear with me. Um, both of those things definitely came with a very early memory that I have. And one of my earliest memories of my entire life is feeling a sense of kind of like shame about how I identified. And that goes as far back as, you know, also learning about gender. And probably, I guess, around like four years old, three years old, when you sort of kind of step out of yourself a little bit and you understand sort of the different variables and people in the world, something didn't really feel great about me. And that's when I first started experiencing like anxiety. However, I obviously didn't have like the language or the tools or the self-awareness to know that I was transgender or, or anything like that. All I knew is there was something that I couldn't put my finger on. But I did know that whenever I went to the toy store, like my mom would take me to Toys R Us. And I remember you would walk in and you hang a right and there would be like the candy followed by like the bicycles and the clothing. And then there would be this bright pink aisle that was kind of far away, but it felt like really far away. And we would get closer to the aisle. And I remember feeling a sort of shame already because it was almost like staring at the sun. Like I didn't, I wanted to look at it. I really wanted to go to this aisle. It was like the Barbie aisle, which was very aggressively pink. So I would get really close to this like fuchsia fork in the road where you can kind of go into this Barbie section, which was just felt like this VIP section that I just could not enter or even look at because that fear of just feeling the shame of my mom seeing me looking too much at it. And it was all like a lot of self, it was built up in my head so much anyways. And then I would end up going to the boy section that had like GI Joe's and Transformers. But um, so I somehow convinced my mom to get me uh, this pony blossom, which I still, I have to this day. So this Blossom Pony was My Little Pony. It was obviously a girl's toy. And I remember being really afraid to ask my mom for it. And, you know, I asked her for it. And I was like sweating, which for a kid, I don't know. It was a lot of social anxiety around asking my mom for a My Little Pony doll. And she was pretty like casual. She was like, okay. Like she didn't really judge me. I remember feeling a, a lot of relief there. Obviously it was just one. And so I didn't test the water. So I got that. And... um I had this My Little Pony and I would, I remember hiding Blossom under all my other toys when people came over and people played just because it was like, I was trying to bury it under all these like boy toys. And I remember feeling that kind of sense of shame after I'd play with it. I, I remember honestly feeling like there was something like perverse or something about playing with this doll. Like there was something wrong. It was just like a plastic horse, but Apparently there was just like, that was one of my earliest memories, just being like, something's wrong with me. Why do I want to do this? So that was also connected with movies because I'm a huge movie lover and I was a film critic and I work in film and television and as a writer and producer. So 
I was really into movies and there was a movie in theaters that came out when I was seven called The Little Mermaid and everyone had seen The Little Mermaid. But I was wondering like why I was so fascinated with this movie. And I think I managed to get to see it in the theaters, but buying it or something again came up that, that there was that feeling like it was a girl's movie. It was a Disney princess movie and there was a sort of line being crossed or something. If you And I knew like if I liked it too much, there was always this kind of fine line. So there was this Domino's commercial or something. And I was like, we get the Little Mermaid? And my mom's not paying attention. I was a child of Boris. I got whatever I wanted. She got me the Little Mermaid. And I watched it like so much. I, I just would re-re-re-watch the Little Mermaid. I didn't realize at the time, but the Little Mermaid was clearly like a transgender metaphor before I knew what transgender people or metaphors were. Because I was really young. I couldn't even read. And it's obviously about this person who is like given all this privilege and she just doesn't feel part of that world. And she wants to inhabit the, you know, she feels like she's destined to inhabit the world of like people on land with legs, but she has a a physical attribute that prevents her from doing that. And everyone's just like, who do you think you are? Why do you, why do you think you get to go live amongst them? You should be happy. You're a, you're a teen sea princess. Anyways, she also has this like grotto of all these forbidden artifacts that she gets from above. Like the, there's like the, the fork and these things. And that kind of made me also, it kind of something clicked and it all lined up with Blossom also, how I would hide Blossom. And then that over the years started to develop into getting stuff. And I had this actually like well into, into my adolescence and young adult years, like I had a lockbox that just had all these artifacts and all these like feminine things make up a clothing that I procured sometimes you know stolen or taken I don't know it wasn't great and I'm and I did what I had to do to kind of like survive sometimes feeling that way feeling like trend sometimes felt people say like oh you came out you did this you're a hero or or you stole and stuff that's not great either when you were a kid but I was I don't know I really liken it to being like you're in quicksand and you just have to like grab something to not sink in the quicksand it was all like survivalist it wasn't really anything else it just felt like second nature anyways so I stayed in the sea like Ariel and I unlike Ariel and I didn't get to make like a deal with the sea witch to go to land for a very long time I had to kind of do it all my own there was no like fairy tale but this also started my this weird like being fascinated with movies with like gender bending comedies which were like a really kind of normal thing in the 90s like very popular movies incorporated that it started this movie Ladybugs I saw with Ronnie Dangerfield and this kid, he like this teen heartthrob kid, Jonathan Brandis, transforms into a girl to play on the girls' soccer team so his stepdad could win the the, the championship because he's doing it for his boss. And then there was Mrs. Doubtfire with like Robin Williams, obviously like cross-dressing to be uh, like a Scottish nanny to trick his ex-wife or his separated wife to let him spend time with the children because he is like limited custody with them. And then there was obviously the, probably the biggest one was Ace Ventura, which had like the, the villain turned out to be someone who killed like a police officer and assumed her identity. And it was like an ex football player. So, and that sort of was when it started to transition into no pun into like the psycho killer stuff. Uh, you know, someone who's presenting as male, like secretly dressing like a woman. There's got to be like some kind of sneaky means to an end. That's There's something sinister. 
Uh, and then there were movies like Psycho that I started seeing when I was older, and then Silence of the Lambs and Dress to Kill and this horror movie Sleepaway Camp. And it just became like a genre trope also just to like underline. And it was a checklist of like, okay, let's make this person's crazy. What are things they can do? They'll do this. They'll do that. Of course, they'll gender bend. Anyways, I'm talking a lot about movies because I really do like every point of my life is very, my life is kind of chronicled through like what movie I was watching. How did I feel then? That's just kind of how my brain works because it's so intertwined. Trying to fill this void, going to school, getting an education, studying film, going to grad school, eventually moving from Montreal to Toronto when I was 25, um, getting into a a, like a long-term relationship, getting married, all these things I did. And I always thought like I was kind of trying to fill like this void that was just like not, it was actually growing rather than like closing with things I was putting into it. And one movie that really came to mind was The Matrix, which is interesting on a lot of levels because Lana and Lily Wachowski uh, came out as trans. And when the film came out, they identified as the Wachowski brothers. And uh, no one really thought of that. But again, that was like another metaphor thing that was clicking in my head and feeling like taking the pill and like really like accepting reality or kind of just being complacent with whatever you're given. And it's easier and there's less hardships, but, you know, don't take that like the red. I don't remember which color the pill was. I think the red pill was the the good pill. Anyways, uh, so I really started thinking that. And as this was happening uh, this was like right when Lana Wachowski came out and I started getting uh, panic attacks that really kind of c- connected all the way back to Blossom and Little Mermaid and all these things, that kind of anxiety, like when it just was like overwhelming and it became like physically debilitating. And I remember I went to the ER a few times and I was just so stressed out. I thought I was having like a heart attack and they were just like, no, it's anxiety. I just didn't know where it was coming from. I tried cognitive behavioral therapy, all these things, but it never, it was always kind of there in the background. And then um, I remembered kind of talking to my therapist about it and I just, I never told her about it. And it was frustrating because no one could really help me. However, I did tell my doctor that I was kind of feeling straight apprehensive about how, who I was. And I don't know, could you put me on a, like, can you guide me somewhere and get me to a doctor that could help me or talk to me about horm- like a gender therapist or hormone stuff. I was so like ashamed to tell anyone. I remember feeling so much anxiety when I told this to my doctor and my doctor said, um, yeah, like we can, I, I'm not really comfortable prescribing that, but I could put you on this list. So there's this place in Toronto is Cam H and the list was two years. So I just like put myself on this list and it's to go through like that kind of those steps where you see a gender therapist and you're diagnosed with dysphoria and then you can get a doctor and then they'll connect you and then you could potentially start hormone replacement therapy. There's just like a lot of hoops, but I was still just at that point, like, sure, I'll wait. It just seemed acceptable enough. And I waited and waited, and then I, I forgot about it, frankly. Like, it just kind of, I forgot that I was even going to do I just didn't think I was going to go through with it, and I figured they'd never call after, like, by one year, one and a half years. And But I was continuing to dress, and my partner, who I eventually, like, who I was engaged to, knew about it really soon after we started dating. She was the first person I ever confided in. This was in 2010, after three months of dating, I was like, realized I kind of love this person and I had to just tell, I had to come clean to somebody. 
and I couldn't keep like shaving my legs and then not doing it. And then I knew it would get the better of me. And if I was going to like really commit to this long-term relationship, which is something I always sort of fled eventually, I'd have to like come clean because it was one or the other again, like that mutual exclusivity. So I told her and she accepted it and was kind of cool with it and was a little like, Oh, that could be fun. That was great. But she always would ask me like, is this enough? Like, cause it started with like, let's do this in the bedroom. And then it evolved to like, let's do this on the weekend. And then she moved in. And I'm like, I do this when I'm home, like to relax. And that was just kind of became like those movies. It was kind of like Mrs. Doubtfire where you're just like taking one costume on, taking one off. And it's really disorienting to do that. Like after a while you start to feel, or you're like Neo in the matrix going in, going out of the matrix. I don't know. It's, it's disorienting and it was, it was funny. It was almost like a comedy of errors, like taking off the nail polish when people are coming over and then there's still a trace left. And it became like almost cleaning up a crime scene after. And then uh, I had uh, my retina detached. I have really bad vision. Uh, it, it's, it's just a thing that could happen. And I, and I had to have surgery. I almost had like uh, lost my vision and it was really scary. And I had this surgery for my eye for this detached retina. And right after the surgery... I got a call like two weeks later and they were ready to see me. Like they were like, do you remember that? I was like, oh, wow. And it all just seemed very like cosmic. I don't know. I just felt very like I'd hit almost rock bottom with the surgery and I was just, I needed something. And obviously this was all happening when I was getting ready to plan my wedding. I was planning my wedding. It's like, it was months away, a few months away. It was kind of crazy. So I started, I went to the gender therapist. They diagnosed me. They're like, you have like gender, you clearly, this has been something you've been like dealing with since you can remember, like it's not going to go away. You don't have to, you could do whatever you want. And they remember them telling me like, you know, you can start with hormone blockers or see things, but like you'll see things more clearly. Like you don't know until you try doing that. And you don't have to do a cannonball in, like you could dip your toes in and see how it feels. And I figured, okay, because before that, I'd already started doing like laser hair removal and I I get these hormones and I start taking them. And I think I'm going to like, I'm just going to hide this forever. Maybe they'll just make me a little feel a little better about myself. And they had like a really miraculous effect on me, like uh, an effect that no therapy or anything could have or any you know, SSRI or any kind of medication could do. I really felt like it put a fire out in my head. Like everything felt so different. Like I was running on the right fuel. Like you're putting the wrong fuel in a car and it's just like testosterone was the wrong fuel. And it took a little while to click and then it really clicked. And uh, I should also mention that I started taking these hormones two days after my wedding, which is quite dramatic. But the wedding also was something that between the surgery and the wedding, I just knew I had to do this because um, just that, again, with those gender divides, like I always hated going to weddings or places where it was like you had to wear a suit. I always tried to just wear like a kind of pretty gender neutral American apparel hoodie and like an indie band shirt and skinny jeans. And like that was like my consolation. But these just seeing like guys at a wedding or a thing and like they're kind of like chest bumping and then uh, you know my 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 the woman I was marrying looked so beautiful and it was just the stark contrast and it was so I just couldn't take it anymore so everything was just really coming like crashing down and I was 35 and I felt like if I don't do this like I want to at least maybe I'll have the chance to live the majority of my life as myself still 
So I took like a leap of faith and I swallowed the matrix pill and everything changed from then on. And I thought I was going to wait. And then everything just started like a house of cards. Like everything was just sort of had a domino effect. I just, I started coming out. Like I couldn't hold it in anymore. I was just so kind of happy and it just was so euphoric. And I remember kind of starting to tell people at work and it was just a very like slow burn. I was telling people and then I told my parents, but I remember starting with like kind of saying I was non-binary because I just felt, again, it was like something like asking for one, my little pony. I just didn't, I wasn't ready to say that. I didn't have like a name idea for myself, just felt very overwhelming to me. And that confused them even more like baby boomers or something like I'm going to say like explaining like they, them and all that to them that like really, they were just, it was like a whole new world for them. And I was just trying to be like, you know, I'm just like David Bowie. I'm just like fluid. I just don't like, I was like a chameleon. They were very confused, but by the way, I'm taking like estrogen and da, da, da. so uh, I did, I, I pulled that off for like, two seconds. And then right after this was right before the, the winter holiday. And then I came back and then I'm sitting at my desk at work and I just write this like email. And I honestly felt like I had something compelled, like I was under a spell or something. Something was like making my hands do it on puppet strings. And I send this email. So I work at this company, Bell Media, which is the, like one of the largest companies in the country. And I send this out to everyone and it goes up to thousands and thousands of people. And then I post it. And then I take that and I post it on Facebook. At the time I used Facebook. I don't know if anyone uses Facebook anymore. And I, and I blasted that out. And I was just like, I can't believe I just did that. And then like I went and got lunch. And then I started getting like all these amazing responses from people at work and congratulations. I'd never had so much. Uh, I've worked, I did so many things and told jokes all the time. And, but no, I, I couldn't believe that I was getting all that. My parents, it was some people, like my family, it was a bit of a mixed bag, but ultimately it worked out. Like it took a little while. And, but I would say that my, my, my father, my stepmother and my mother are, are more proud of me than ever. Obviously it wasn't an overnight success. Um, my marriage did unfortunately like dissolve in that, in that capacity because the, the person I was married to are my, her, her orientation and my identity just didn't mesh anymore, but also we're best friends. So we evolved into something different too. And a lot of, I mean, yeah, it's just, it's not like a perfect, it's not a Disney movie. It's not the little mermaid, but you know, it's life. It's it's still kind of, I don't know, it's really exciting, but I honestly can't remember. Thinking about it, it feels like a past life. So that's like the Cliff's Notes version of my coming out story. And I guess when anyone looks at old pictures of themselves, there's a, a lot of feelings. And it's probably a, a little more complicated in my case. But when I see old pictures of myself, uh, I'm, I'm really happy and I'm proud of that person who who had the courage to, to do all this and be who they were. And uh, yeah, it's it's been a great journey and you know one door closes and another one opens and I can say I've met my best friend and my writing partner that I may have never met if uh, I wasn't Neela today and so many other cool opportunities so yeah stay tuned I guess (laughs) um, for the sequel